This is the word of God, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, I am completely over COVID Omicron. However, it's still affecting my voice a little bit. So I do have water up here, and I'm hoping that uh, I will be able to get through this. I trust that I will. I may not be shouting, but that's okay probably. So thankful to Trinity for the opportunity to speak. And it's a, it's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility to try to bring, in my own feeble way, the, the truths of God. So I'm going to ask if you'd pray with me one more time. Father, thank you that you have given us grace, and I pray that you would be with us as we open, your word of God, open the word of God this morning, open your word, and that you would teach us wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you have heard my story, my testimony, and I came out of an era when people were rebelling, experimenting, and I was one of those kids that liked to push the limits, and I liked drama. I sort of liked, I, I reveled in things that were a little bit extreme, and so I lived outside for a couple of different summers. I sometimes would sleep outside in the, in the cold, I'd wake up with frost on my sleeping bag and my, my black Labrador retriever curled up on the, at the foot of it, and I just reveled in that kind of stuff. That was cool. My dog's name was Blackie, by the way. It was a very original name. And I, in, in some ways, I was reacting against the, the suburban kid that I really was in reality. But I, I liked the drama, and I liked to imagine myself on this big rock in the middle of outer space, going around a star that's at the edge of a big galaxy that's one of a trillion galaxies out there and just sort of let my mind imagine that. And I like to go out and be by the ocean and watch the storms come through and be in the rain and kind of imagine myself as part of all of that. And it was something that I, that I uh, really looked forward to, sought out in many ways, the drama of life. And then there came a period of time that I think I've mentioned before when I was kind of shaken. I was afraid for no reason. And I realized now that God was taking the props away, the things that I was trusting in, and allowing me to no longer trust in myself. 
And during that period, I eventually came to realize that Jesus Christ was offering me a solution, and I accepted that solution. Now, remember that summer, sitting out in my truck with the stars overhead and having this feeling come over me of complete peace. And I looked up and I realized that the creator of all of this, the creator of the stars, the creator of the earth, was my friend. And this peace settled into my soul. I remember it to this day. And for the first time in a long time, I had, I had hope. I had hope because I knew what was true and I knew the person, the creator that was true. Now, in, of course, in the days and the months and the years to follow, I began to realize what it meant that, that this Lord, who I sort of, in my own imperfect way, gave myself to, was actually the Lord of all, but that was a process for me. So the big idea this morning is that the benefits that come to us through Jesus Christ, being justified or being made right with God, are peace with God and hope. Hope in future glory, hope in present sufferings, and hope because we have the Holy Spirit. Now, in Romans 1 through 4, we just finished that whole section of the book, and now there's going to be a big pivot. There's a change now coming. So, in Romans 1 through 4, we've been looking back mostly at what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has paid the penalty because we, in our natural selves, are under the penalty of God. We are deserving of His wrath and His punishment. And Jesus took that penalty that we deserved and He justified us. He made us right. He declared us not guilty before God. And now in Romans 5, Paul is turning a corner and he's saying because of that, because of what God has done, we now in the present have hope and peace and in the future, we can look forward to what God is going to do for us. So Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 are much more about hope. So we begin, chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The very end of chapter 8, it ends with, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so 5, 6, 7, and 8, this whole section is about hope. Hope in what God is doing, hope in what God is going to do. And so this great idea of hope and peace is what we're going to be focusing on this morning in these introductory verses where Paul begins to open out this idea that we have hope in God. So in our verses this morning, Romans 5, 1 through 5, Paul explains four benefits that come to us from being made right with God, with being justified. So the first benefit is peace with God. The second, third, and fourth have to do with hope, 
hope that we'll see the glory of God, hope in the midst of our sufferings, hope because we have the Holy Spirit. So benefit number one, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned that this is a pivot point, and, and this therefore, at the beginning of, of verse 5, of, of verse 1 in chapter 5, this therefore is one of the great therefores in the Bible. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Paul has just spent four chapters talking about what it means to be justified by faith. So, this therefore clearly is important. And what is it that we now have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This has to be important because it's the summation of everything he's been saying. So what is peace referring to here? Well, we know in our normal English sense of the word peace that peace refers to two warring parties no longer being at war. So that's, that's a normal definition of peace. People sign a peace treaty. And so we have a peace treaty between the U.S. and Japan in World War II. We're no longer at war. The U.S. are the allies in Germany. We're no longer at war. So we understand that concept of peace. And we see that in, in verse 10 of, of this chapter of Romans 5, where it says, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Okay, so clearly the idea of reconciliation between warring parties. We were at war with God, and God was at war with us. We were fighting against him, and he was against us, because God cannot dwell with sin. But now there's been a peace treaty signed. Jesus Christ has made peace between God and us. So that idea is clearly there. But Paul was likely thinking also of the Hebrew word shalom as he's talking about peace. Now, I know some people try to make a big deal out of the word shalom. I think sometimes it's because they want to sell books. But the idea of shalom has to do with more than just stopping the hatred. So let me give you an example. Um, how many people are in this room are 14 years old or under? Raise your hand. 14 or under? Few, okay, quite a few, good, good. Now, I often talk about the 14-year-old rule, which is that if a 14-year-old reads a Bible passage, the meaning that they get out of it is typically what it means. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it's, it, the Bible's not intended to be a hidden book. So, track with me here. So, let's say that you have grown up with another kid. Let's say you went to grade school with him and then to, into high school. Maybe you're in junior high. And you, just, you don't like this kid at all. Whatever, for whatever reason. Maybe he was a bully earlier on. Maybe you thought he said bad things about you. Maybe you've done some bad things to him. But you don't like this guy. And it's kind of escalated. And he heard that you said something bad about him and he took a magic marker and marked up your locker. And then you went out and, and you were getting ready to, to punch a hole in his bike tire and he came out and you got into a fight. 
and you get taken down to the principal's office and the principal says, this has got to stop. You stop, you stop. And you both say, okay. All right, now, that's peace in a way, right? I mean, it's peace. The, the war is over in a sense. You're both afraid of further punishment. But the Hebrew idea of shalom goes farther than that. The Hebrew idea says that not only do we stop fighting, but we become friends. Now, before that, let's say that, that the, the fighting stops, but if something bad happens to, to this guy, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to help him. In fact, he probably deserves it, the jerk. But the idea of shalom towards somebody means that I'm now interested in his welfare. So I become friends. If he gets in trouble, I try to help him. If somebody else attacks him, I'll defend him. So that's the Hebrew idea of shalom. So those of you 14 and under, do you basically get the concept? Okay, good. Thank you. All right, so that means that you understand Hebrew. Okay, good. Um, so, Paul is saying that God is our friend now. It's not just that the war is over. God is for us. He's helping us. He's on our side. He's pulling for us. He's giving us active assistance in every part of our lives. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this peace is objective. It's a fact. It doesn't, it's not based on our feelings, but as I said, when I was describing my own experience, I felt peace as a result of what God had done. And, and Paul describes that in Philippians 4-7 as this peace that passes understanding. So this, there's a subjective, there's a feeling element to this peace as well that God pours this peace into us and we, we experience his peace, that God is our friend. So now that God is no longer against us, now that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to the next benefit. And that is that we have hope that we'll, we will see the glory of God because we live in a new reality. We have hope that we will see the glory of God because we live in a new reality. So, yesterday I, I watched a little bit of the, the, the NFL playoff game between Green Bay and San Francisco. And it was in Lambeau Field, Green Bay. It's 12 degrees out. The wind is howling. The snow is coming down. And not only was it bad to be out there in this in this cold ice bowl, but there was 300-pound guys coming at people and trying to knock them to the ground. I mean, talk about a, a bad place to be. But these guys put up with it. Why? Because they've got the goal ahead of them, which is they want to win a Super Bowl. So what Paul does here is he gives us the goal first. He shows us what the goal is. It's the glory of God. He puts this hope out in front of us. He says, we have hope that we're going to see the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? Well, he's referring to this idea that one day we're going to be with God in all of his glory, all of his wonder, all of his beauty, fully and completely in heaven. 
That's what he's referring to here. That's the goal, the glory of God. And he says that we boast, the ESV says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's the same word that's used for boasting elsewhere. We boast, we, we confidently rejoice in the glory of God. So normally boasting is a bad thing if we boast in ourselves, but if we boast in what God is going to do, that's okay. Now remember back in, in Romans chapter 1, it said that everybody has rejected the glory of God. We exchanged it for idols, and we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So we rejected it. So God has shown us his glory, but we rejected it. And then in Romans 3, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we can't get it back on our own. But now, rebels against God, people who spit at God, who rejected God, who despised God, are promised that they're going to share in the glory of God forever. That's what God has done with us through justification. We have peace with God and now we have this hope of sharing in the glory of God. The promise is that we are going to be in this place of light and peace and joy and beauty. Like a story that just keeps on getting better and better and never ends because of what Jesus has done for us. Well, how is it that we have this hope? Well, it's because we live in a new reality. The reality of grace. So, we used to live under a death sentence. We were on death row, and probably the best thing we could look forward to maybe was that last meal that they give you before you go and get the lethal injection. The natural state of humanity is we're waiting for death. We're waiting to be punished. But then someone stepped in and took our penalty. Went to death row for us. That was Jesus Christ. But not only did he do that, but he became a new ruler. He became the new ruler and he set up a new set of laws. And those old laws that condemned us are no longer in effect. Imagine if I was out in the, on the grass there and I dropped a wrapper on the ground and Eric Burnett came up and said, you're under arrest because it's against the law in Singapore to drop wrappers on the ground. I say, what are you talking about? We don't live in Singapore. Exactly. The old laws no longer apply to us. We are now under a new set of laws. The old laws that condemned us to death are not in effect anymore. We are under grace. Paul says that we stand in this new reality. So verse 2, we now have access by faith to this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now I need to mention before we move on, that living in grace does not necessarily mean that I am free to 
go out and live an immoral and ungodly life. Paul will address this in chapter 6. It's impossible for somebody who's living under grace to live an ungodly life. The, the two things just don't go together. But he's giving us the big picture here. We no longer live under those old laws. And because of that, because we have access to grace, we have hope of living forever with God in his glory. So we keep that goal in front of us. And that helps us to get through a lot of difficult stuff here. But that's the question that's going to come up now. So yeah, we have peace, we have hope of glory, but i got to tell you, I'm not feeling it right now. My family's a mess. My kids don't like me. I just lost my job. I've been dealing with sickness for months. Seems like it's going on years now. And there's no relief. So all this sounds great, but I'm not feeling it right now, Paul. I'm not feeling it. But Paul says a third benefit. We have hope in the midst of our suffering. Well, how does that work? He says that we rejoice. It's the same word for boast. We boast in our sufferings. Boy, that's a rough one. How do we make sense out of that? Well, a few things that this does not mean. It does not mean that we try to one-up each other about how, how much we're suffering. So, yeah, I had an operation last week. Ah, that's nothing, man. I had three kidney stones, past one as big as a marble. They had to put a, a stick in my mouth because I was screaming so loud. I was playing golf the next day. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. It also doesn't mean that we, that we seek out pain. Like, I'm going to climb up on the roof and jump down and break my ankle so I can, like, rejoice in God. That's crazy. No, what... What we're talking about is that we can boast in the midst of difficult times because we know what God is going to work in us. So there is a way in which Christians, unlike people in the world, are strengthened when they go through tough times. Now, many times I've heard people say, um, students of mine, other people will say, you know, I went through this difficult time. Or, my aunt was the nicest person in the world. She would give you anything, and yet she went through a horrible sickness and she died, so I don't believe in God. Or, I called out to God and, and nothing happened, and I lost it all anyway, so I don't believe in God. Suffering often leads to bitterness and despair and sort of this idea that there's nothing I can do about it. But for a Christian, there's a chain of reasons that Paul gives here that leads us to hope. The first link in this chain, well, the, the chain itself is uh, suffering, patience, endurance, and hope. Okay, 
So the first link in the chain is suffering. And we can also think of that in terms of afflictions or trials. So, first of all, we need to note that all suffering presents us with a temptation not to trust in God. So anytime we go through a hard time, there's going to be a temptation to say, maybe God doesn't really care about me, or maybe he can't help me through this, or maybe it's not going to work out for my good. There's always a temptation there. So every, every trial, there's also a temptation. That's, that's worked out more in James chapter 1. I'm not going to go into detail here. But remember the parable of the, of the soils. And so Jesus talked about the, the, the seed that was sown on the rocky soil. And he said it sprung up right away, but there was no depth of root. And when persecution came, immediately that person fell away. So whatever faith he had was gone. But for a Christian, it works differently. So in the midst of that suffering, we find endurance. The second link in the chain is endurance. And we can also think of that in terms of patience, steadfastness. Now in James chapter 1, James says, Count it all joy when you come into various trials because it works endurance. So he's basically saying the same thing. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. That sounds weird. Well, what are some examples? Um, Hebrews 10 Verse 34, the writer there talks to a group of Christians and he says, For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you know that you yourselves have a better possession and an abiding one. Can you imagine? People come, grab your property, kick you out of your house, take over your house, grab your car, put you out on the street, and yet you joyfully accept it because you know that you have a better possession. Corrie ten Boone wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And she and her sister Betsy were put in the Nazi concentration camp at Ravensbrück because when they lived in Holland, they were trying to help Jewish people escape from the Nazis. And when they first got there, Corey Ten Boom wrote about being put in this stinking room and she said, she, she, she wrote, suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above, something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with fleas. And here's another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? And Betsy then started praying. How will we deal with this, Lord? She said, I know. What did we read this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? 
Well, she goes back and reads it, and it talks about giving thanks and everything. So she says, we're going to give thanks for the fleas. And Corey Ten Boom wrote, I cannot imagine that God would want us to be thankful for fleas. But Betsy said, no, we're going to give thanks for the fleas. So I gave thanks for the fleas, Corey Ten Boom wrote, but I was sure Betsy was wrong. Well, later on, as they were in their barracks having Bible studies, they realized that the guards never came in. And the Bible studies grew. Their worship services grew. The guards never came in. They found out later that the guards never came in because they did not want to get fleas. But Betsy was giving thanks to God even though she didn't know that. She was willing to endure even though she didn't know why God was putting them through that. So what happens when we're patient and we endure? Well, the third link in the chain is that endurance leads to character. Now, the New American Standard says uh, proven character. They call it uh, something tested. And so uh, Philippians 2.22 says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. It's the same word there. The proven worth, the same word that we have here for character. It's something that's tested. Now, I know that um, uh, Ross Gentle is a, is a tester of rocket components. Now, if you talk to him, I would imagine that he would say that they're not going to send something up in a rocket that hasn't been tested very thoroughly. So we go through testing periods so that our character will then become proven. It will become tested. So we go through testing so that we become tested. I hope that makes sense. Two different senses of that word. Psalm 119, 167. I'm sorry, Psalm, 1, Psalm, Psalm 119, 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So there's a very real sense that at times in our lives, affliction can keep us from going astray. Or if we're going astray, it can kind of bring us back to a more centered focus on what's important. Remember in my late 20s, I was, I was in the hospital in, in Olympia, Washington. I had lost a lot of weight. Nobody knew what was going on. And they were concerned that maybe I had some kind of cancer going through my body and just ravaging it. And I remember sitting in that, ho that, that, that hospital room and thinking to myself, I'm thankful because God is with me here. I had his presence with me. It was, it was a very, very interesting experience. I wasn't thinking about all the, the cares and concerns and temptations of my life out there. I was just thinking about the fact that I might die soon, and yet I'm grateful that God's with me. So God brought me through a time of 
Well, to finish the story, I didn't die when I was in my 20s. <laughs> in case you were wondering. But at that time, God brought me through that time of affliction and refocused my life. And He can do that. Now, not all affliction can be understood in these ways. Sometimes we'll never, we're not going to know why we're going through something. But at times, God does bring us through things to, to refocus our lives. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about a time when he despaired even of his life. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, he says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul is now pointing to hope. He say, because of that, we have hope. Now, I, I want to point out one thing before we move on. And that is, what happens when we fail God in the midst of affliction? What happens when we fail? Because oftentimes we do. We, we don't pass the test. We, we give in to bitterness. We fall. It's important to realize that God can use our failures to grow us. Think about Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times. Huge failure. And yet God restored him and used him. Think about John Mark. John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And in Acts 13, they went through the island of Cyprus and then on their way to Asia, it says John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. And we're not sure exactly why he did. We know that pretty soon after that, Paul and Barnabas ran into massive opposition. And they were attacked and Paul was actually stoned and left for dead. So it might be that John Mark was looking at the danger coming up, and he said, I, I'm not going to be able to deal with that. The next missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark again. And Paul said, no way. I don't want to take somebody who left us last time. His character hasn't been proven yet. He didn't pass the test. And so there was a disagreement. Barnabas took John Mark, went one way. Paul took Silas. They went, out, they went somewhere else. But later on, Paul said of John Mark, he is very useful to me for ministry. So John Mark, he failed at one point in his life, but that wasn't the end for him. God used that to grow him. And he also used him to write a gospel, the gospel of Mark. So God can use our failures even when we fall, he can use our failures to grow us as part of becoming tested. 
So when we fall, we can still be confident that God is going to work through our failures for our good. So we have hope in the midst of our suffering, verses 3 and 4. So hope is a certain expectation. It's not just, oh, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. Or, gosh, I hope that the 49ers win the Super Bowl. It's a hope based in a confident expectation of what God is going to do. That God is going to bring these things about. That he's going to work in our sufferings that he's going to carry us through this and work good even when the world would say you should just give up. So he can use our failures to make us stronger. So a few applications before we move on. Well, we need to pray for one another when we fall. Somebody once said that Christians are the only people that shoot their wounded. There's a little bit of truth to that. Like, oh, you fell? Ah, what a loser. No, we need, to, we need to pray for one another that our failures will result in our strength. Because tomorrow, I may be the one who's going to fall. Let's pray for, one another, pray for one another that we will find strength in the midst of our suffering. So to summarize, verses 1 through 4, we have peace, we have hope in the future that we're going to share the glory of God in heaven, and we can have hope in our sufferings because God is working through them to make us stronger. But he's given us all these benefits, but apparently that wasn't enough because he's given us more. He's given us himself. Malachi talked about how we see the Trinity here. So God the Father sent God the Son to pay the penalty for our sins, and now the Holy Spirit has come so that God himself can dwell inside us. So this is not just a little add-on tacked at the end. This is like the presence of God living inside us. We have hope because God has given us the Holy Spirit. He says the love of God has been poured out through the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out, shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. So, a couple of things that God enables us to do here. First of all, the Spirit makes us understand the love of God. Makes us understand all that God has done in saving us. Okay, fair enough. The Spirit opens us up to be able to see everything that God has done in saving us. He helps us to see that God is working in the midst of our sufferings. He helps us to see that He's still with us even when things look bad around us. Second, the Spirit causes us to experience God's love. 
The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Now, I know that sounds a lot like experience, and, and evangelicals are suspicious of experience. Yeah, you know, it's, it's truth that I'm, I'm interested in. Experiences, that's, that's, that's squishy, that's wishy-washy. But there's an element of experience here. That God has poured out His love into our hearts. How do we not feel that? So He does appeal to experience. In, in, in Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's something that we experience, that we feel in our souls. The Holy Spirit tells us that we're children of God. Finally, the Holy Spirit fills us with God's love so that we will love others. So, what's the worst thing you can do to a rushing stream? You stop it up, right? You stop it up, then it stops flowing. The love of God flows through us. Well, it flows through us to others. The purpose of the love of God is so that we can give it to other people. And the idea of pouring out, that's not like, well, I'm going to give you a little bit today and then a little bit maybe tomorrow if you're good. No, it's the idea that it's poured out. It's poured out abundantly through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. And as we look out for others, then that love flows through us. Now, this is not going to be perfect. We have hope because God has given us the Holy Spirit, but we experience it as we give it. Jeremiah once talked about, I tried to hold your word inside me and I couldn't do it. It had to come out. If you've got the love of God in your soul, it's got to come out. You can try to hold it back for, for a time, but you'll be miserable. It's, it's going to come out. Think of some examples of supernatural love. I'm sure you can think of some. Think of the example of Corey Ten Boom's sister giving thanks for fleas. Think of some Trinity members. I don't wanna, I'm not going to give names because they might, they might be embarrassed, but there's some people that have been going through some very rough times. I can think of, I can think of one, one couple and a very, very difficult time of pain and and hardship, and yet they asked me, how can we be praying for you? The Holy Spirit pours out supernatural love into our hearts, and it's meant to go to other people. We have hope because God has given us the Holy Spirit. So for Christians, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that everything that God has said is true. That this suffering we're going through is temporary and it's working for our good. 
And that, that promise that God is going to be there at the end of the road and share his glory with us is firm and settled. The Spirit is that guarantee in our hearts. We have hope because God has given us the Holy Spirit. So Romans 5 is about hope. The assurance that God is going to do what he promised. So justification is being made right with God. This leads to peace with God and it leads to hope. A hope that looks ahead to meeting God face to face. A hope that carries us through our times of suffering and it gets stronger rather than weaker. As we get older, I know our culture doesn't think a lot about getting old, but mean it doesn't think a lot of it, meaning it's sort of, you want to try to stay young as long as possible. One thing that's happened to me as I've gotten older is I've seen God work many, many times, and my hope has gotten stronger. So young people, don't be afraid of getting older because there are benefits. Not a lot, but there are some. And this hope is guaranteed because the Holy Spirit lives inside us. God himself dwells inside us. Let me conclude with another story from Corey Ten Boom in her book called Tramp for the Lord. A couple of years after World War II was over, her sister Betsy, by the way, died in that concentration camp, died in Ravensbrück concentration camp. Corey Ten Boom survived, got out, went back to Holland. And a couple of years later, she was giving a talk about the forgiveness of God. And Corey Ten Boom said that as she was finishing up her talk, she saw a man walking toward the front, towards her, and she recognized him as one of the guards from Ravensbrook concentration camp, a Nazi guard. This was a man who would stand there as the female prisoners would be stripped of their clothes. Total humiliation. And she said, he didn't remember me, but I remembered him. And she said, now he was in front of me saying, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And she says, And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. She said, I could remember my sister, my sister who died in that concentration camp, never to come back. I remember the leather crop that he would use. And I said to myself, Lord, I can lift my hand. 
I feel nothing, but I can lift my hand. And as she lifted her hand, she said that she felt the power of God come through herself, down through her body, into her hand, and then she said to this guard, I forgive you with all my heart. She said she experienced the love of God in a way that she had not experienced the love of God before. This God who had forgiven her of her sins was now working through her to forgive somebody else. That's supernatural love that comes from the Holy Spirit. God has forgiven us through Christ for all of our sins. We have the Holy Spirit in us as a guarantee that he's going to do everything that he said he's going to do. And because of that, we can have hope and suffering. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us peace and hope that everything that you've promised is true. That in the midst of our tough times, we can have peace and hope. Father, thank you for the power that you've given us through your Holy Spirit, that you didn't just leave us on our own, but you gave us your Spirit to dwell in us. We pray for strength, Father. Some of us are going through tough times right now, and I ask that you would help us to hold on to hope today. In Jesus' name, amen.